This show is brought to you by my agency, Spotlight Podcasting, where we help other consultants launch their own podcasts and set them up with interviews with their ideal clients and strategic partners. You record the interviews and we handle all the rest. To find out more, you can head over to spotlightpodcasting.com. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Michael F. Schein, who is a writer, speaker, business owner and hypartist. And he's also the author of The Hype Handbook, where he shares 12 indispensable success secrets uh, from the world's greatest, it's a bit of a mouthful here, um, but the world's greatest propagandists, self-promoters, cult leaders, mischief makers, and boundary breakers. Uh, he's also uh, a regular columnist with um, his work featured in Fortune, Forbes, Inc., Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and many other publications. And I know Michael because uh, we actually work together. So it's it's great to actually have you on the show finally. Thanks for well, joining it's great, us. It was great to be here, Jonathan. And I, I really did go out of my way to pick the longest possible subtitle to trip up, you know, yeah. podcasters like you. Yeah, it kind of put you through the paces a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It is a good subtitle, though. I do, I do like it. So, Michael, um, why don't we start off with? Obviously, I, I know the work that you you do with your company, Microfame Media, which I probably could have probably could or should have mentioned in your biography. As a result, you know, of a lot of the work that you've done with Microfame, helping people build their authority, credibility, and visibility. Is there anything that you'd like to share? Maybe a tip, tool, a strategy that consultants should maybe think about more um, that perhaps isn't so much on their radar. Sure. So. When we work with consultants, which which we do a lot, because my whole sort of I've realized recently that the thing I'm on this planet for is to really give the biggest possible audience to great ideas. There are so many bad, even harmful ideas out there that get a big audience because the people behind them are really good at drumming up a lot of attention and understand the psychology of crowds. And I've also noticed there are a lot of, you know, really good ideas, ideas that are really life-changing for people that don't get as big an audience because the people behind them um, either don't focus on drumming up a lot of attention or or kind of think it's beneath them in certain cases, that the that the stuff should sort of rise to the top on its own merits. And, you know, I was um, a full-time writer at one point. I played in bands at one point. And, and, and the through line in all of the stuff that I've ever done, it, it was always idea driven. Like even when I played in a band and probably the reason I didn't succeed at it was because I never practiced, sat and practiced guitar. It was all about, oh, we have this concept for a new kind of rock music, you know? Um, and so I, I've kind of fallen into this really cool career where I work with people who have amazing life-changing ideas and I teach them how to drum up a lot of attention. And I call that hype. I don't call it marketing. And I've kind of repurposed the word hype as a positive thing, hopefully. Um, all that to say, um, there's one hype strategy that I use with all of our clients, that we use with all of our clients, um, anyone who works with me, for me, myself, um, and is the first hype strategy in the book. And I call it make war, not love. And what that basically means is that every human being on earth, even if you're the most peaceful, non-aggressive person in the world, thinks in a very tribal capacity. You know, we all think more about what we're against 
even more so than what we're for. So um, I remember working in the Brooklyn writer space, which was this place in Brooklyn. You had to be a serious writer to work there. And the people were very gentle for the most part, you know, ate a lot of green products for lunch, didn't wear a lot of makeup or use brand clothing. Yet every computer in the place was, was a Mac, every single one, right? So why? That's a multinational corporation because it showed, told them that they were against the corporate world and, and Apple created that. So what I always teach consultants is figure out what line you can draw in the sand, what point of view in your space or in the space that you serve, are you really against? Do you think is doing a lot of harm to your clients or to your potential clients, especially if it's a very popular point of view? And then think about what unpopular point of view are you 100% for that other people don't typically um, embrace or know about. And if you can be the person who stands up for that unpopular point of view and against those popular point of views, if you really feel that way, it's very, very attractive. It does a lot of good in the world because you're getting new ways of thinking out into the world, but it also will, will get you a lot of business in the long run. Yeah, it's actually a, a a variation of that question that we sometimes use in um, pre-interview calls. Actually, so before a podcast interview, we might ask a guest, guest, you know, is there anything in your industry that you vehemently disagree with? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, because that always draws out interesting opinions and gives them more kind of personality and and something to really, uh, you know, hold a hold a banner for. And if you think about the companies that have really done well, especially in the past bunch of years with the advent of the internet, they they really do a good job with that. So um, Basecamp, which which isn't a consultancy, it's a technology company, yeah. but they've used almost a consulting type approach because the founder writes a lot of books and writes a lot of articles. And what he's against and constantly says this is the idea of working for the sake of work, is the idea that, you know, butt in chair hours spent is what's going to make you successful. So everything he does, he writes books about it, rework, for example, you know, and his co-founder actually, they give Friday off, you know, mm -hmm. and why do they do this? A, they believe it, but more importantly, they have a software, a project management software that is all about hyper um, simplicity. So if you want to streamline your processes, you use Basecamp, right? So that allows them to compete with the gorilla in the room, which is, is Salesforce, which they could never compete with head to head because they're so powerful. So that's the approach. Go out there and figure out what is that thing you vehemently disagree with, but also how does it connect to what you're selling? Yeah. And it, and it's also a good way of, of sort of drawing and attracting like-minded people to you and 100%. actually giving voice to actually opinions that probably a lot of people have, but have never really even voiced as well. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And uh, there's an instance that you, you mentioned in the book um, where I think you, you came out with an article that was kind of a counter opinion to describing how are you against the whole kind of idea of hustle culture that people like Gary Vaynerchuk were, were portraying. And I'm pretty sure, I think you actually may have started a trend because I remember seeing other, you know, maybe a couple of years down the line, you know, someone's like, oh, you know what? Now's the, now's the time to take another crack at Gary V. Yeah, I, I probably. So, um, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about this as of like three days ago because I reposted an article from like five years ago that I, I kind of 
took issue with Tony Robbins. Yeah. And someone saw it and said, hey, how long are you going to ride on the coattails of the thing you did with Gary V? And I kind of wrote back like, oh, yeah, I was just reposting an old article, which I do sometimes, <laughs> you know, but but I, I guess it's going to be on my gravestone that I sort of started this, you know, war with Gary V that led. I, I think at, in large part to a backlash against hustle culture, because before mm. I'd like to think I had a part in that. I'm pretty sure I did. As you said, you know, that before this whole rigmarole happened, it was just a hundred percent accepted in the business world, in the startup world that you had to hustle, hustle, hustle. Um, yeah. But this was 10 years ago already. I, I, I was really very early in my new career. I had worked at a corporate job for a long time. I was a freelance copywriter and I wasn't doing very well at it. I, I had just started. I was burning through my savings. The people who hired me thought I was a good writer, but I was really not good yet, ironically, at drumming up a lot of attention, which is why I started studying hype. But um, long story short, I would read all these articles and see all these talks of Gary Vaynerchuk who would say, things that I thought were actually ridiculous. Like he would say that you should tweet from the toilet when you wake up at three in the morning to go to the bathroom. And I was like, yeah, like no entrepreneur is out there saying I'm not going to work hard. Like, I mean, I, you know, there's, there's no beginning entrepreneur that I know who is like, oh yeah, let me put in six hours a day. Right. So, so basically I, I noticed that by him constantly telling these young people to hustle, yeah. It didn't help the young people. It helped Gary Vaynerchuk. And I've since found out that something cult leaders do. Cult leaders will have their followers work relentlessly on behalf of their cause. Because what happens is if you're constantly working on behalf of a movement or on a guru, and then you start to have doubts, cognitive dissonance kicks in. Mm. It's, it's hard to say to yourself, oh, I've been wasting my time working. Instead, you say, well, the cause or the guru is even that much more amazing. So anyway, I wrote an article about him and Inc. And I said, why Gary Vaynerchuk is flat out wrong. And I basically said, you know, it's great uh, to hustle if you're the one selling the wine, which he did. He had a wine business. That's how he started. It was his dad's wine business. And he got to spend a year just doing social media to promote this business. I said, but if you're growing the wine, that's a lot more difficult. You need to find efficient ways to systematize what you're doing. Plus, you're going to burn yourself out. So I said, essentially, I said, Gary Vaynerchuk's a wonderful businessman. And I did say that. And I still think that. Hmm. But if you're a young person, pay attention to what he does, not to what he's telling you to do. So again, I was a nobody. I just wrote this article. I happen to have an in at Inc. Um, and he saw it. And he, he was ag agitated. I, I, I mean, and I was nervous to do it. Right. I mean, I was, I was, I remember my hand and this isn't a joke thing. I remember like my hand hovering over the mouse before I had a mouse back then I, before I sent the thing and he, he wrote, put this video out and the, you can still find it the first minute or 30 seconds. He was really nice. And by the end he was sweating. He, his hair was sticking up. I mean, he was really frazzled about this thing. And I got scared. I thought I had ruined my career. But what ended up happening was, to your point earlier, there were all these people out there who I guess felt the same way I did. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of an emperor's new clothing thing. And they started to kind of gather around me. And it, it was it was kind of the beginning of whatever success I have. I mean, I, I started to gain followers and fans and got a lot more writing jobs. And then I started to use that approach over and over. And, and to, to my detractors, to give my detractor from the other day some credit. When I find an approach that works, I use it over and over again. And that's what <laughs> I did. And it, it really did build a following for me. Taking yeah. down the gurus and saying, you should follow what they do, not what they teach, you know? Right. 
Yeah. Um, so that's hype strategy number one, make war, not love. And I'm curious. So, so what I really like about this that I find really interesting is how you, you take a lot of these strategies and you actually apply them in your own. So you actually walk the talk. No, you talk the walk. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> but you, yeah, you're not, you're, you're not essentially, you know, just, uh, preaching as a guru or whatever. You're actually applying this within your own business and that this and with your, your own clients. And so I'm quite curious, like, how do you, do you, do you pick and choose the strategies depending on on who you're working with or what assets they bring to the table or you know of these of these 12 you mentioned that you you tend to use that first one quite often you find that contrarian pulling out that contrarian contrarian point of view how do you pick the others so my company has really evolved um mm-hmm. you know back when i first went from being a freelance copywriter to having what is essentially an agency I had these hype strategies, but really what people wanted was marketing, right? They would come to me and they would say, I really need to crack this social media thing. Hmm. And when I would hear that, what I would read between the lines is you don't really want to crack a social media thing. You want to get a result. You want to drive a lot of attention around your business, get sales and and whatever it was. So, But no one understood hype because it was my crazy little thing. So I would use those strategies, but I would frame it as a marketing agency. So as a result, you know, I had a team that would, using our processes, execute on these programs and we would do the work. And it was um, it was a wild and wooly kind of experience, just like all agencies are, because there were a lot of moving parts. It was hopefully once you use a hype strategy, the client will show up. Not that there's anything wrong with the clients at all, but it's because it's human nature that when you have a marketing agency or hire a marketing agency, it's kind of like waving a magic wand. No, they've, I've outsourced my marketing. But the problem is with the kind of quote unquote marketing we were doing, which is close to personal branding. Yeah. You need the person to sort of buy in and be yeah. really involved. And, and that was challenging. So there were a lot of difficult conversations. We would bounce around a lot and we'd make it happen, but it took a lot of people and a lot of overhead and a lot of, um, sort of difficult conversations. So I got lucky. Eh, lucky isn't the word, but I wrote this book, the Hype Handbook, which codified my philosophy. Yeah. Uh, and it was published by McGraw-Hill. And, and fortunately, I know a little something about promotion. So I was able to drive some recognition around the book. Yeah. And suddenly everyone, instead of wanting social media marketing, a whole lot of people had read the book and had heard me talk about it. So they wanted hype. And what hype is, is looking at non-marketing marketers. So I'll look at all of these unconventional people and say, what are the mass psychology principles that they all have in common? And can we apply them ethically? Mm. So now our program is very structured. What we do is there's 12 hype strategies that are talked about in the book. And what we do is we go through them one by one with the client. So Mm. in the first kind of week of the four-week module, we teach it to them. And we also create an experiment because even though these hype strategies are universal, they work time and time again, the permutation of how it goes out into the world, you have no idea what form it's going to take. So I could pick a fight with a guru and Gary Vaynerchuk is old hat and it doesn't work. Or I could pick the same kind of fight that someone else picked and it could fall flat or it might be a holiday and people haven't looked at it. So the goal is to do experiments that are quick as possible and cut the ones that don't work. So what we do is we we teach the hype strategy. We come up jointly with us leading the pack with small ideas, big ideas, but small experiments to test 
various permutations in the real world of what the hype strategy is. The client goes out and puts one foot in front of the other to do it, but they do it very small so that it doesn't interfere with the rest of their work. We score the results of the experiment, iterate, iterate, iterate. And then when we finally get one that works, uh, we teach them how to blow it up. So now what happens is the client has a vested interest. They're, they have skin in the game. So they're getting the benefit of our ideas, our expertise, our systems, but they're going out in the world and doing it. And what is beautiful is they get to use every hype strategy, but it gets baked into their DNA. So whether they work with us for five years or one year, mm. they become benevolent hype artists. They start to see the world in a hype capacity. It's no longer about tell me which buttons to push on Instagram or on HubSpot. It's how do I view the world in this sort of playful, interesting way within the confines of the mass psychology we know works. So it's sort of become this weird animal, the company. It's somewhere between marketing agency, consulting firm, and educational institution. And um, it's it's been great. It was the golden ticket. It's a really elegant model for everyone involved. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. I'm sure it must be quite illuminating for for the people that go through that process to actually find these kind of hype strategies that they never even thought would actually work. I hope so. I mean, people have been getting great results, uh, but um, yeah, I, I think so. Excellent, excellent. And you've you've obviously had you know, a, a whole range of different experiences, you know, throughout your your career and your time. And one of the ones uh, that you wrote about that I, I thought was really fascinating that I'd love to um, hear a little bit more about was um, an article you wrote back in October 2019 about how to get a free trip to China, make millions and transform your life. You're great at the <laughs> the titles. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know, it, it does, um, you know, it does sound like a, a title that promises a lot, but it, it's a really fas- fascinating article and account of uh, how you came to to... Yeah, basically speak in front of a, a, a massive audience in, in China. Yeah, I try to be really playful with the titles. Yeah. Like, I know I'm known as the hype guy, so I yeah. try to do the, <laughs> these hypey titles. But I think really this story is is more than anything a lesson in serendipity, in keeping your eyes and ears open for opportunities and then trying mm. to latch on them. Because I never knew that this trip was going to happen. So I had an idea, this idea for the hype handbook And I was just convinced it was a good idea. And it turned out to be a good idea. But I had a hard time selling it. I had two different literary agents, big agents. So I was excited. I was counting the advance dollars. But both of them came really close to selling the book. And they got one big editor to to put it out into the world. But the sales team didn't accept it. And also, the agents didn't really push. They weren't really pushers. They just sort of sent it to their 18 people and that was it. So I was like, oh man, this thing isn't working. What am I going to do? Um, I really thought it was a good idea. So around the same time, just randomly, I got an email that had Chinese characters in the uh, you know subject. And I, I thought it was spam, to be honest with you. But for some reason, I opened it anyway. Um, and it was this guy, Sieben, who's since become a good friend of mine, who who said that, he uh, had read my stuff in Forbes and really liked my stuff. And I don't, he just wanted to talk to me. So, so I, I, I read between the lines and I know he, he really wanted me to write about his company in Forbes. Mm. Fortunately, he had a cool company. It, they, 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 uh, him and his partner, Zayu um, Jang, they're Chinese guys, you know, they're from China, but they both lived in the United States for big chunks of their life as young people. 
So when they met in college, they said, you know, there's this appetite for American style entrepreneurship training in China. And because they've lived in both places, they could position themselves as these experts. So they did that and they started this really, really, really successful company. So one of the things they do is once or twice a year, they do these big kind of, you know, in-person gatherings and, and this and that. And so they like to bring Americans in because it gives them credibility. So I wrote about their company and it, it, it was good for them. And so they met me when they were in New York and they said to me, hey, you know, Mike, um, we'd love to have you speak at our next event. We'll fly you out and treat you great and this and that. And so I honestly don't know why I said yes. I mean, their material is all in Chinese. I, I, I don't really know. You know, you can't really find their stuff online. It could have been could have been a scam. I, I don't know. But I, I said yes. And they flew me out. And they flew me out business class. And Chinese business class is really nice. They had a waiter and, a, you know, the, the whole thing on the plane. And, you know, and um, I get there. And they picked me up. And they had a nice beverage for me waiting. And they had me in the St. Regis. And uh, I went there. And I showed up. And I spoke on this concept of hype. And it was crazy that the crowd, I felt like the Beatles or Elvis. I mean, the place was like jam-packed. I, every time I would try to walk through the crowd, people would say to me, oh, you know, excuse me, let me take your picture. Da, da, da. You're my idol. You're my mentor. And I guess they really talked me up. I don't know. To the point where at one point I had to pee and I like couldn't get through the crowd. I mean, I, I could see why these famous people get annoyed. But so I did this talk. And it was basically at the end of the talk, I essentially, and I had a translator. And at the end of the talk, I essentially said, my whole point is that it's your moral responsibility to use these principles of mass psychology to get your amazing ideas across and your amazing businesses out in the world. Because so many people have used them to harm people over the years. And that really touched people, I guess, because in China, people have been manipulated using some of these ideas, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, it was cool. And then I spent a lot of time with the team, with Zayu and Shiban's team, got to know the people. They were beautiful people. I really got to know them well. It was not really nice. We stayed in a more traditionally Chinese place the second half of the trip. So it went so well that, um, and the news was there. My head was all blown up in the background. It was, it was crazy during the talk. So at the end of the trip, I said, Zayu and Sieben and I, we wanted to do something together. And we thought maybe I could talk to people I knew and try to bring other people like me to speak there. So that didn't work out. But one of the people that I set up a call with was this, or dinner with was this woman, Heidi Krupp, who, who is a powerful PR agent who I happen to know because she would pitch me. And we had dinner and I told her the idea and she's like, oh, that's pretty cool. But what else are you working on? I said, well, I have this, this book the thing that I was promoting, the Hype Ham book, but I might make it into a course because it didn't get sold. She goes, oh, I could sell that for you. I just started a literary agency. So she sold it in like two weeks with a really big advance. So it was just this wine, which changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> it was this crazy winding back. But if I would have not gone to China or not accepted that email or not written the article about Sibin and Zayu, my life would have been a lot different. So I don't know what the lesson is other than looking for opportunities and being strategic about what comes out of it, because you never, there really is no plan, you know, it's all a bunch of bets. Yeah. And everything just started from that rather dodgy looking email with the, with the, funny characters in the subject line. Yeah. And it was only <laughs> dodgy because, you know, <laughs> because he's from China and it was like uh, the mystery. They, they're a very, very legitimate, yeah. awesome company. Yeah. yeah. 
V Star One or Zeyu Education. They have different names in the U.S. or or in China. But yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was very also very interesting. Just just sort of reading about the contrast in perspectives and how you know Chinese businesses are amazing at and sort of the rapid pace of technology over there, but there's still this sort of element of of storytelling or or personal branding that they're you know that there are still things that they're you know they're just done slightly differently over there isn't it well i would say that what i learned is that this concept of hype for better or worse this idea of promoting yourself or playing with mass psychology in a way that gets a lot of attention it is baked into american dna even mm. more than great britain yeah. certainly more than china you know because if you think about how our country was founded it was a bunch of people in England who were like, we have this religion that is so extreme that we we can't even make it happen in England. We're going to go and we're going to start this new society. And then you had people who were trying to start tobacco empires and you had people going west to look, go find gold, you know, which was the equivalent of Bitcoin at the time. Right. So the whole culture of our con- company is ba- country is based on dreaming and, and self-promotion. And that has a lot of downsides, but it has a lot of positive sides. China's the opposite. I mean, until 20 years ago, it was completely collectivist. And, and you know, it, it, that part of that was communism, but part of it is just the culture is... It's, I mean, you, you, you support your parents. I mean, you're not putting your parents in a home. You're going to sacrifice your life for your parents until they die, right? So it's Confucianism, which is a completely collectivist ideology. So now they've been thrown into this um, environment where both the government and the people, for, again, for better or worse, they sink or swim based on whether they're able to out capitalists the capitalists you know i mean they need to start businesses they need to thrive within existing businesses and they're very good at the manufacturing part they're very good at um making things happen but that part about self-promotion does not come naturally to them so even though there's this tension between the united states and china just saying i'm an american and i'm going to teach you how to promote yourself they're just very hungry for it because it's a matter of survival at this point for them yeah, absolutely. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, there's a movie called American Factory. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, I, yeah, it is American Factory. It's about a Chinese company that takes over a factory that's sort of dying out um, in middle America somewhere. And they basically have Chinese workers working alongside American workers. And uh, I won't give away the whole story, but it's it's just fascinating watching the... Uh, it's it's a documentary essentially, but it's I'm gonna uh, have to check that out. The interactions and the way they they just like the Chinese just don't understand the Americans' way of doing things and the and vice versa. Um, they're just you know diametrically opposed worlds. Really, I'm really interesting. Check that out. Yeah, and then at the same time, you realize when you travel like that, and you're not just sightseeing. How much people are people? You know, I, I got mm. to spend time with all of them, and you know, they laugh at stupid jokes, and they you know can be flirtatious and they can be annoyed and they can, you know, get hot in the sun and be very funny. And, you know, it's just like, like any other human being on earth, you have more in common than you do different. So culture is real, but people are people as yeah, well. Absolutely. Fantastic. So Michael, this has been a, you know, uh, really interesting. It's always an interesting conversation of speaking with you. Same here. <laughs> 
But I would love for you to, to let people know uh, if they want to check out your book, is there a website they can go to? Um, if they want to find you online, are you big on LinkedIn, Twitter, or where's your what's your social media of choice? Yeah, so I would say that um, I, I learned in in traditional mar- in my traditional marketing studies that you always want to focus on one call to action. So my one call to action, I'll tell you the other stuff too, is just go to Amazon and write in the hype handbook, uh, and, and you'll get my book. Because if you read that book, if you want to know more about, first of all, you'll learn a lot. Um, but if you want to learn uh, more about um, this philosophy, you know, that that's the way to do it. And ultimately, if you ever do end up working with us, that's the thing that's going to persuade you. So even selfishly, I would say, get that book. But yeah, um, you know, my company is Microfame Media, F-A-M-E, and it's microfamemedia.com. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. For some reason, they have me on there as Michael Francis Shine. I don't know why, except it's not my middle name. <laughs> but but, but um, you know, if you look up Michael Shine, you'll probably find me. And I, I am extremely, probably more active there uh, than everywhere. And and I do have a uh, um, MichaelFShine.com uh, website, S-C-H-E-I-N. But yeah, if you, if you want to um, really get the full breadth of what we do and what I teach. It's it's the hype handbook. Just go to Amazon because it all points there anyway. And um, if all you ever do is spend that money and can do it all by yourself, that'll make me really happy uh, because it means the book did its trick. And if you want to go further than that, I'm around and we're around. Fantastic. Well, Michael, uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime. I'll come on anytime. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And who knows, maybe there's another book left in you. There might be a couple. There we go. I'm still a writer uh, at heart. Okay, fantastic. All right, Michael, cheers. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of Consulting podcast. And as always, you can find out more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofconsulting.com.